Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Thursday, May 26th. This is the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, got Sam Bassini with me, and the uh, draft deadline for underclassmen to withdraw. Uh, has passed. It was late Wednesday night. It's now Thursday afternoon. Sam, uh, I'll start with you. Of the guys who made decisions in, say, the last 48 hours, Nigel Hayes, Mm -hmm. Caleb Swanigan, uh, Dylan Brooks, Tyler Dorsey, uh, is there anybody that surprised you with what they decided to do outside of, obviously, Marcus Lee withdrawing, but also announcing a transfer uh, from Kentucky and Malik Newman withdrawing, but also announcing a possible transfer from Mississippi State. So I'm not allowed to say Malik Newman and Marcus Lee? Well, I'm just saying Well, those are obviously surprising cuz I don't think anybody was talking about in the in the uh, hours leading up to it that you know, we we sort of I guess because this is the way it always goes down, we just assume that somebody's either going to stay in the draft or return to their school. Like like Withdrawing from the draft, but then transferring isn't something that we see regularly. So I just assume uh, we were all surprised by that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that one name that was a little bit surprising to me was Caleb Swanigan. Uh, It had kind of seemed like throughout the process from like kind of talking to people and kind of, you know, gathering some information that I've been kind of assuming that he was going to go. Uh, to be honest, he throughout the process said, like, as long as I can, you know, get a second round pick even or like be assured of, you know, maybe getting a contract next year that he would probably go. Um, that was not too surprising, I guess. And the fact that he couldn't get that uh, guarantee, because I, I don't really think he's anywhere near an NBA player at this stage. He can get there, but he's not really there at this stage. Um, and yeah, I think that. Uh, he uh, he did surprise me a little bit in terms of deciding that. Uh, just real quick, I do kind of want to talk about the Malik Newman thing because I think that that might be the biggest story going forward here in college basketball. I mean, here you have this five-star player uh, who, who, you know, didn't have a great year at Mississippi State because it wasn't a great fit with Ben Howland. He, he was injured. And you're, you're looking at a guy now who may be on the market in terms of looking to play at a different school next year. Is it going to be, you know, Juco? Is he going to try and sit out a year and play a year? Like, what is going to happen here with Malik Newman? Because, like I said, this is a guy that has a tremendous talent level regardless of what he got to show this year. So I got a call a couple of days ago from uh, a, a source, let's say, and said, hey, Malik Newman's people are calling around asking about I mean they were really ignorant to to everything because like they were asking questions like this is what I was told it was secondhand that's why I didn't report it at the time but it, it all is, is obviously true now because of what we ha- how we know this went down they were asking questions like okay what happens if he stays in the draft but goes undrafted can he go back to school then I was like no like why do you not know that and then it was like yeah. what, what about junior uh. college what about they were just really peppering people about all of his options, really every option except returning to Mississippi State. And uh, well, let me let me say this too. You know, I've talked to a couple players about this process in terms of whether or not 
they should have agents that can kind of help them out and navigate this process and know all of that stuff. I know that Josh Hart went public and said that on Twitter last night. And Nigel Hayes gave me a really good quote that he thinks it would be beneficial. So uh, if we have Malik Newman now and his people asking about this, like, I think this is one of those things where we do need to get everyone on the same page in terms of what the rules are, what the rules aren't. And I think that one of the best ways to do that would be an agent, but that's a little bit beside the point of what you're going to say. But you, you know, these are, this is definitely an issue that's going to happen going forward with this new rule. I think you and I agree on that. Like it would be, and Jay Wright said it as well. It, it would be uh, beneficial for these young people who are making life altering decisions, sometimes with millions of dollars at stake uh, to have, uh, professional assistance in the form of an agent. I don't know that we're close to getting there, but I do think we'll we'll get there at, at some point. My my larger point was like they, they seemed, to, uh, and I'm not even trying to be mean, but they just seemed like they ignorant, like uh, to the to exactly what was capable and or what was possible and what wasn't. Uh, the, but they were seemed dead set on not going back to Mississippi State. Um, mm-hmm. Where we're at right now, as we're recording, is they're going to sit down with Ben Howland and figure things out. And I still think ultimately he's going to be at Mississippi State, if only because anything other than that doesn't make any sense. The junior college option, I found out, isn't actually an uh, – he could challenge it, but it doesn't look like it's obviously an option because the way the JUCO rules are written, uh, anybody who has entered a professional draft is is ineligible for junior college. And he has Malik Newman technically entered a draft. He's just withdrawn from it now. Uh, He could fight it, but I don't think that's a realistic option. So I think the more and more people they talk to, the more people are going to say, dude, you should have just stayed in the draft and gone to tried to, you know, maybe somebody takes you for the same reasons the Grizzlies once took Josh Selby because you were a a top 10 player coming out of high school. Um, and, And if not, just go to the D league and figure it out. But like sitting out a year, after a freshman year, when you were a consensus top 10 high school recruit, that doesn't make any sense to me. Does it make any sense to you, Norlander? Uh, no. The, the Newman thing is intriguing to me because, it, you know, think back when he, when he actually committed there, right, and how big of a coup it was for Howland, for Mississippi State to get him, his reputation coming into college just as a guy like it was just, it was presumed that it would be like the worst case scenario even if Mississippi State wasn't good that he was going to be able to put up 15 points a game and be a one and done kind of guy even if it wasn't you know like a lottery pick or anything it didn't go that way whatsoever nope. um, I do think the best situation for him is to return now that might be a little bit of a tough pill for him to swallow because he didn't have such a great year to start with but overall I do agree it's one of the most interesting turning events that we saw there in the in this past week and then the Marcus Lee situation at Kentucky is also interesting because uh, I think we all know that he was going to have at best the same role he had at Kentucky this year and probably a lesser role given that uh, John Calipari is enrolling three five-star front court players but it's just um, I think I saw you tweet this Sam uh, you know if the goal is to be a professional basketball player why not just Stay in the draft. See what happens. It probably won't go the way you want it to go, but you can still end up on a D-League team or overseas. There's a lot of different paths to go to the NBA. To be clear, it's his life, and if he's comfortable with it, I'm comfortable with it. But I, I, yeah. I, I have a hard time understanding why you would want to sit out a year to play one year when you probably in two years end up at the same place you'd end up right now. Yeah, I, I basically agree with that. I think that we did see one player have – 
you know, relative success with it. Uh, Ryan Anderson at Arizona this year was a top 25 wooden finalist after really improving his game in that year off. Um, but I agree with you. I don't think that if his goal is to be a professional player, I do not think that it benefits him really all that much to sit out because uh, for some reason, I think that there is this disconnect between what the D-League is and what it isn't. Yeah, it's a really hard life that you have to go out and travel and you're, you know, on the bus and, you know, you have to really just deal with it and you don't have to live through it. But having said that, the D-League is probably the best place to actually improve your game because you don't have to worry about any sort of scholastic problems. You don't have to worry about uh, any sort of ancillary things that kind of happen around college basketball. You can just go, you can play. I think that we've seen that with Chris Walker uh, this year in Rio Grande Valley, the former Florida player who uh, has really, really rehabilitated his stock in a way uh, and gotten his gotten himself back on the radar in, in terms of the NBA. So I think that that would have been Marcus Lee's best option. And I mean, to be clear, there's nothing really stopping him from doing that at this point. Uh, I mean, he could just decide to go to the D-League, even if he doesn't enter the draft. Like, you can just still go to the D-League and have to go through the draft process in 2016 or 2017 at this point. But, like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to have him sit out, you know, maybe try and improve the range on his jump shot in the year off, maybe try and, you know, improve his bulk when he could just do that in the D league and actually get playing time. If his goal is to be an NBA player. Right. I he's mean, just a, yeah, he's right. just in an impossible position here, Gary, because, you know, recruited over, it's not even the right term because he's just been there for so long. You just don't expect Kentucky big men to be there that long. And now Kentucky's just, they're loaded next year. And so in a lot of ways, it makes sense for him to transfer because you could easily make the case that he's in no way going to put himself in a position to up his stock a year from now. But I think you're right, Sam. I just think that we're still years away from people looking at the D-League as a viable option. And it might take a case where it's a relatively high-profile kid at a high-profile program like Kentucky. Not that Lee is going to necessarily do this, but you would need something like this where a kid opts to do that, has success at the the D-League level, then actually makes it like a legitimate impact, like tangible, becomes Mm -hmm. maybe even something of a borderline star. I just don't think that kids are looking at the D-League as option A, B, or C at this point. I still think we're years from that. Which to me, the, the problem with that is is that they're told it's not a legitimate option from people like you know college coaches and everything when in reality it is like you need to kind of understand what the d-league has become at this point the infrastructure is so much better than it was you know maybe five years ago like you, you really just kind of have to be realistic with it i think in a way to kind of help these kids and right now i don't think the discourse around the d-league is there and i agree with you that it's probably going to take a little bit of time but i don't think it should the the d-league can help kids at this point we are not at the point where uh that this league is a problem still in terms of its development well one of the issues is that there's this long standing belief among just people in general that um, if you leave college and you're not in the NBA, you have ruined your life. That that it's crazy. Co- that college crazy. Is, it is insane. It that but they but they think college. If you're going to get better, like like somebody like Marcus Lee, they say, hey, you need to get better. And so the the longstanding uh, theory is, well, that means you get better in college. I've got to go back to college and get better. You can get better in the D League. You can get better in Turkey. You can get b- better in a, in a whole bunch of different places these days. And while I think more and more kids understand that, 
they 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 don't not everybody seems to gra- to grasp it. In fact, I, I'll take it a step further. Malik Newman could go back to Mississippi State or stay in the draft and be be go unselected and land in the D League, and I would put the odds on him becoming an NBA player at the exact same. I don't really think there's any difference. And I, I think you, you're just as yeah, reason. Yeah, right. I, I, I think you're just as reasonably. Um, it's just as reasonable to think somebody can take that path to the NBA as it is go back to college and get better. You know, because you know what, most guys, Buddy Hill's an exception to this. Denzel Valentine's an exception to this in this particular draft. But most guys who go back to school to quote improve their draft stock, it doesn't really happen. How many times Alex Poitras go back to school to improve his draft stock? Like it does, it, 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 I mean, it does happen, but it doesn't happen. It does. I would say, I would say it happens, but it's not overwhelming. Like you do have guys like, and it used to be that. And the reason why I think we've been not, you know, the culture has been slow to this is because, you know, until 20 years ago, that's just simply how it was. Like kids legitimately got better year by year as they played through college. Like that just is what happened for the most part. And that's how you got to the NBA. Whereas now when you've got these really super talented, you know, 18, 19 year olds coming in year after year, and there's been such an emphasis on age when it comes to drafts because of the contracts and all that, you're competing with so many more elements than you were three decades ago that I think you're right. I think some kids do get better. Like some kids sure, do, some are, do. And, sure. And in college, like it, without a doubt, like the college basketball system, it, it works as an unbelievable uh, filtration system in the NBA. Like, you know, you these universities and these all the stuff that these big programs have with facilities and trainers, like everyone's getting smarter about it in general. But I would say and this isn't scientific, I, my impression is what Gary is saying is generally correct, is that there is nothing necessarily to suggest that college will absolutely make you more prepared going from you know a junior to senior year or 21 to 22 years old than if you did end up playing in Spain or Slovakia or you spent two years at the D-League. Like there, you could have the same kind of growth no matter what. The, the difference is what... What matters to you? Like, do you want to stay in the country? And if that's if that's the case for yeah. now, okay, you bypass that. Okay, do you really hate school and you want to have at least a little bit of money? Okay, then that's something that you should really consider the D-League. Or do you really like the attention? Because what's undeniable is nothing brings you attention and media opportunity and awareness like playing college basketball in the United States. Sure. You know, the D-League, no one's turning tuning in to watch D-League games no one can name any of these players that are playing overseas for the most part. So there also is – that's, I think, the biggest attraction to it. Plus college, let's be honest. College is a hell of a lot of fun, and that's also an element that comes into play where these kids might be really shy about dropping it all to go play across the Atlantic Ocean in a place they have no idea and might not even speak the language. I guess the point I was so, trying to make is that if, if, if we could pull kids, like however many uh, declared for the draft but did not hire an agent and then, um, and then actually pulled out. If we could pull them all on on the day that they pull out of the draft and we say, why are you pulling out of the draft? And then every kid that answered some version of, I'm going back to school to improve my stock, and we could write all their names down on a piece of paper, I bet you for every one who who actually does improve his NBA stock, there's there's two that don't. It's just it's just it's just a fallacy. Yep. It's just a fallacy that uh, I'm gonna go back to school and improve my stock. Like you might. But but I I think more often than not you don't and um and and that's why if the goal is just to be a professional basketball player, um you you like just go be a professional basketball player. But like what? But also I I underline all this by saying, um, 
it, 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 as long as Marcus Lee is comfortable with what he's doing, and as long as Malik Newman's comfortable with what he's doing, and as long as I'll take it a, a step further. Uh, uh, who's the kid, Sam, who stayed in the draft but is probably def- like definitely going to end up in the D-League? Stay underclassmen, um, stay in the draft, definitely going to the D-League. I mean, Troy Williams, okay, fine. probably. Okay, if he's comfortable, like, if he's comfortable with that, yeah. if he's comfortable with just the idea of better, better, better answer is probably Derek Jones okay. from UNLV. Perfect. Okay, but... hey, you. As long as all these guys are comfortable with the most most likely outcome for their decisions, I, I, I'm fine with it. I, let, let's switch gears a little bit because I think this is something important that Sam and I have both written about in different forms. Um, so now it's over. This never-ending uh, period of time. Uh, during which underclassmen can work out for teams and go to the combine and 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 decide what to do, whether to remain in the draft or or go back to college. And I think there was a thought that um, a lot of them would, once they were off campus and bouncing around, um, they would get led down a dangerous path where they wouldn't <laughs> make good decisions. And all these kids would be leaving school and it would just be a disaster. And best I can tell, and I give credit to, to these young people and, and the people around them. Best I can tell, the, the, this worked exactly as it was supposed to work. Like, these, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of these, um, you know, amateur student athletes went out and got, you know, worked out for NBA teams and worked out for general managers and, and, and scouts and coaches, and they got feedback, and, and they were able to make uh, probably the most informed decisions uh, NBA draft hopefuls have ever been able to make, and for the most part, they made sensible decisions. Like they're like mm-hmm. like Mellow Trimble at the end of the day made a sensible decision to come back to Maryland. I trust me when I tell you, Mellow Trimble did not want to go back to Maryland. He wanted to be in the NBA, but he got the feedback and he listened. And Deidre Lawson listened, and uh, Dylan Brooks listened. I, I was really impressed and 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 uh, somewhat surprised, really impressed. And, and, and pleased with, with the way this thing unfolded because I think for the most part, um, you know, the, the, the hope was that you would give these young people more uh, information than they've ever had and they would be able to make informed decisions. And it looks like they, that, that was undeniably true, but they, they also made smart decisions. Am I missing it? Yeah, what I think used to happen was that people used to conflate the idea of like, you know, these kids that are definitely done with school, uh, you know, declaring and deciding just to hire an agent and uh, just be done with school. And, you know, we saw some guys do that, like, you know, Isaiah Taylor, Daniel Hamilton, or, you know, I think there are a few others that decided to that probably shouldn't have. Julian Jacobs at Southern California did it. Um, they conflated them with these kids that would be more open-minded in terms of what they would want to do, like a Nigel Hayes, like a Mellow Trimble, like a like an Isaiah Whitehead even, who decided to go to the NBA draft after kind of deliberating over the course of a month. So uh, I totally agree with you. I think that this worked as well as we possibly could have expected it to work. And I think it will continue to work into the future. I think that there are some tweaks that you could use to maybe make the process a little bit better. I kind of mentioned one at the top in terms of letting these kids contact agents. But like you said, I think that this really worked as well as you can hope, and uh, we really just need to kind of stop, uh, you know, conflating kids that are just done with school and don't really want to deal with it anymore with kids that are open-minded. And the kids that are open-minded deserve a chance to test the stock and see where they are. And so the byproduct of all this is that we now have a pretty good idea of what 
the rosters are going to look like for college basketball uh, next season. And so I updated the CBS Sports Top 25 and 1 at cbssports.com. And the top 10 is in this order. Duke, Kentucky, Villanova, Kansas, Xavier, Oregon, North Carolina, Michigan State, Arizona, Virginia. Is there any way to talk yourself into somebody other than Duke being number one? Because, Sam, you'll have a better idea of this than I do. But best I can tell, if if Kay decides to bring Emil Jefferson off the bench and start Marquise Bolden, he's starting a future first-round pick at every position. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, if you think that Bolden's a first-round pick, I, I mean, it's questionable to me. Uh, I'm not... I'm not the biggest fan of him. I think that I'm a little bit lower on him. I'm like, is the third or fourth best center in this class as opposed to like the top center in this class. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's interesting. I do think that Jefferson's going to start. I do anyway. too. I do too. But um, I, I guess my point but was. But yeah, you've got, and, and Frank Jackson, are you ca- counting Frank Jackson in there? Well, I'm just saying someday if, 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 if Kay decided to go with a starting lineup of Frank Jackson, Grayson Allen, uh, yeah. Jason Tatum, Harry Giles, and Marquise Bolden, someday could we look back on that starting lineup and go every one of those guys was a first round draft pick. It's possible. It, it's within the realm. It's sure. absolutely within the realm. I'm not super high on Jackson or Bolden necessarily, but it's absolutely possible. And it wouldn't surprise me if those guys uh, ended up becoming first round picks Jackson. I just don't know if he's a point guard and he might be a little bit too small and he's a two foot jumper, which scares me. And then Bolden, I worry about the athleticism a little bit, but you're absolutely right. Uh, all of these guys have potential to be first-round picks at the very least. And then, uh, you know, Kentucky right after that. How much is the depth, Norlander, issue going to be at Kentucky, if at all? I mean, they. I know that Marcus Lee wasn't a star, um, and and uh, Charles Matthews wasn't a star, but these were bodies that could at least, you know, theoretically play, you know, for a national championship team. Uh, is depth going to be an issue with Kentucky, or like whatever, you only put five on the court, they'll have five great ones? You know, you could make the case, GP, that two years ago in Kentucky's 38-1 season, depth wound up being an unintentional issue because he had the whole – Cal had the whole platoon thing, did some placating of the Harrisons, and by not playing Tyler Ulis as much or having him run the floor when he was a freshman, some people think that might have hurt him against Wisconsin. We're not going to have any sort of platoon next year. I don't think it will be the same kind of issue. Um, and I, I do think – by the time we get there, you know, February, March, I, I don't expect this to be too big of a deal. I'm very interested to see th- how this freshman class gels together because I do like basically all of the pieces that Kentucky brings in. Um, Wendon Gabriel, De'Aaron Fox, Malik Monk, who I'm probably not as big on as everyone else, but I still like, um, and uh, Bam Adebayo and Sasha Kalea Jones will be – kind of the fifth most important part of that freshman class. Um, I think Kentucky is firmly behind Duke, and you can make the argument that Kentucky shouldn't even necessarily be the number two team. I'm fine with them at two, but you wrote on Villanova this week, and getting Josh Hart back, which is so huge. They lose Archer Diakono and Daniel Chefu. Shout out to Devin Downey. Shout out to Doug Gottlieb, who is uh, really riding the anti-Nova top 10 train because he believes that Arch and Ochefu were that vital to Villanova last year that he doesn't think that they are uh, worthy of being a top five team, which we do have them. I say you could put them number two without much hesitation just because Hart and Jenkins are back. I do love Brunson's game, and Booth was awesome in the title game. I think Bridges 
Bridges could end up being the better pro prospect over Hart by the time we get to the end of the next season. So with all that they have um, and a, a good transfer coming in, man, that Hart decision I think was the most important. I think the Hart one was the most important decision this week. That one in Nigel Hayes at Wisconsin because although Hart still has a lot around him, I think you could easily have said Villanova is going to be good, but not as good next season because they don't have Hart coming back. With him back in the fold, they bring so much of what they had in, in that title-winning team that it uh, it'll make a huge impact nationally. And of course, you know the Big East will be good again. Xavier could be even better, but Villanova should be uh, at the top of the league. There is uh, as weird as it sounds because um, I, I looked it all up the other day. No national championship team since Florida 2006, and I wrote this column at CBSSports.com had returned. It's top two scores, period. Like, no national championship team had ever returned its top two scores since 2006 Florida returned to everybody. Um, obviously, no national championship team. Is, they're, they're, like, Connecticut, after Kimba, returned everybody except Kimba. I think. Mm. Uh, but, but uh, like, you, you saw that mattered. Um, and, and, like, you know, the Kentucky team lost everybody. So Villanova is bringing back more important pieces than really uh, any national champion in, in recent years. It's just the, the, the level of talent Duke and Kentucky are bringing in is just uh, – it's going to make them not necessarily – or not even close to the favorites to repeat as national champions. But they do have the third best odds in Las Vegas. I looked that up this morning. So, like, they, yeah. they, ha- they have a chance. I, I won't pick them, but I won't be surprised if, if we're sitting on that first Monday in April – uh, and there's Jay Wright again coaching for a second <laughs> national title. Seriously, we're, we're sitting here with like a team of Jalen Brunson, Phil Booth, Josh Hart, Chris Jenkins, Daryl Reynolds just returning. Michael Bridges taking a leap next year probably. Eric Pascal coming in, the kid from Fordham who is awesome. Like yes. he, he was like 16 points a game as a freshman, uh, I believe, at Fordham. And uh, like we have Amari Spellman, who's a really good recruit, who's a little bit older than most recruits, who might be able to make a quicker impact. Like this is this is a top five team. Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I've got him third. I've got him third. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't to know. me, it's not even questionable. It's a top five team, right? And like it, I, I thought about putting them second, just like Norlanda said. Like I think Duke is just the talent's the talent. I don't I don't right. know how to I don't know how to get around that. You know, they got two guys that could go one and two in the draft, plus a first team preseason All American and Grayson Allen. Like when you've got a first-team preseason All-American, uh, and 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 two other guys that could go one and two in the NBA draft, like I don't, I can't get around that. That's that's the number one team in the country, and the winningest coach of all time. Like that's that's the number one team in the country. Yeah, yeah they're, they got, yeah. they like, have who, who to be number one. Who are you gonna put over Villanova? Like Oregon, Oregon is a worse version of Villanova. Like <laughs> right, no, Oregon. Oregon well, back. by the way, Oregon will be good again. I mean, listen. Really yeah, getting, no, Oregon's like a potential top five that team. Was, listen, that was huge. Just I, I don't think we can overstate getting both Brooks and Dorsey back. I mean, Dorsey could be a top five sophomore in the country next year. Uh, mm-hmm. Brooks will be huge. They got to see if they get Dylan Ennis back. He's applying for a six year of eligibility. Ennis, by the way, who previously played at Villanova. And uh, suffered an injury and, and barely played last year. I think he will get that year, by the way. So Oregon, no, I wouldn't put them over it, but they're definitely a top ten team. Yeah. Carolina brings plenty back, but they don't bring as much back. You know, they don't. They lose Page and they lose Bryce. And to me, Page and Bryce together are worth more than Arch and Ochefu were. Uh, and they lose Joel James, who wasn't a huge piece, but he was. He was a nice little piece. But no, you can't put UNC over him. Michigan State, I think Michigan State has the potential to be a better team by the end of the year than Villanova, but heading in, 
I'm fine with Nova. They Xavier. I mean, they should be better, but I can't pick Xavier over Nova. Like, I get where Do- Got- Gottlieb is coming from with this. I guess if he if he's, but he was like such a huge guy when it came to Arch. But when you have that much coming back, I just I think it's great that we will have the this many teams that I don't know. Even though Duke is like guys, even though Duke is clearly the number one. To me, we've got enough interesting there within our preseason t- 25, given all the guys that also did decide to come back, okay? I mean, and, and Chad Ford actually had a tweet earlier today. GP had mentioned how the process worked and all that. So last year, there were 46 underclassmen that declared. This year, the number was 49. So even with you know more time, it wasn't an absolute deluge of guys. Ultimately, things fell where they kind of should have fallen and Indiana's getting players back that they need and Wisconsin's getting players back mm-hmm. that they absolutely need Gonzaga get Shemek Karnowski back who wasn't necessarily gone because he was going to go to the NBA necessarily because of his of his injuries but he had overseas opportunities if he wanted now they lose a bonus obviously early in the draft but getting Karnowski back kind of solidifies them as a preseason top 20 team so all around we have Maryland what what do we have Maryland 19 20 I took did they Maryland, get trip I, I took Maryland out well you did take Maryland out yeah Okay, they lost so much. Uh, well, we did have them at one point, did we not? Oh, sure. No, have... it's it's reasonable to have them in. Like they were right on the the verge. Yeah, like, but... I I I I could have. You can reasonably have them in or out. I just happen to have really them. good recruiting class. Yeah. Justin Jackson committed today. Like you can absolutely have that. Mela Trimble, Demonte Dodd, like Dion Wiley returning. There's a lot there that's going to make them a really fun team. And I actually kind of like the way the pieces fit this year a little bit better than last year where they had really? all of that positional overlap and everything. So I, I think that I might have Maryland like right at the bottom, but you know, GP is not far off of where I am on Maryland for sure. They're right. Going to be right in the mix as far as an NCAA tournament berth. Um, in terms of the big 10, I think that Matt hit the nail on the head with Michigan state. Uh, Michigan State is going to be really, really good. Uh, Tom Izzo's never had a recruiting class come in quite like this one. Miles Bridges is going to be awesome next year. Uh, Josh Langford is solid. Cassius Winston is solid. Like, yeah. and then you have the you know matriculation of Aaron Harris becoming a senior. Matt McQuaid is an older sophomore. Tom Tom Nairn will probably be a little bit more under control this year. And they actually got Ben Carter in, too, the transfer from UNLV, who I think can do pretty nice things for them. Sure up their front court a little bit. He probably starts immediately. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot to like about what Michigan State has coming in. I think that they're probably right around that top five edge, too. Have you guys started looking at All-Americans at all? It's not easy. (sighs) It's not because no. of the quality of the freshman class plus what we have coming back. It's actually it, Duke alone has three guys that I could, if you told me they were first team all Americans, I would buy it. And, and Allen, uh, Tatum and Giles, all of those guys, those three could easily be first team all Americans. They all won't be, but any of them could be there. So from that alone, Getting it down to fifteen, you know, three first, uh, no, first team, ma- second team, and a third team. It makes it hard. Who's Duke's best player? You know, like, like, how do you even figure that I out? I mean, it, I don't really know that it matters who Duke's best player is going to be. Like, all around player, Grayson Allen's going to get the All American nod. Okay, so like, I mean, it's going to happen. So, like, I, so I like to do a team. To be like, honest with ourselves, I like to do an All American team sort of by position, like where they can actually play. I know you court. love. You're obsessed with. It. I'm obsessed with. It, I hate right? it. I hate I, it. Well, I don't care. Here's so, here's, here's what I came up with. Tell me, okay, okay, who would you go at point guard? Um, 
Jeez. I went through it today. Dude. I, I came up with a first team. Let's see if you guys can guess my first team. Who would you go with at point guard? Or I'm just... telling you, this is not – there are so many options, and this wouldn't be my pick, but, like, let's not forget about Dennis Smith at NC State, who might be the best point guard coming into college basketball. Like, you go Mello Trimble at point guard? Is tr- <laughs> I did not go Mello Trimble. But that, okay, because I, I, would, I would push back on that. Um, Yo, you went Monty Morris probably. I did not, but that I, I that you that's could. A, you, that's, you, a, that's actually probably the right answer. I that went, is probably went, the right answer. I went Lonzo Ball. Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, of course you did. Um, yeah, Monty Morris is the right answer. I think Lonzo Ball. Dude, they're, they're going to be flying banners around the UCLA campus that say uh, "Keep Lonzo Ball" as opposed to "Fire Steve Alford." <laughs> Love Lonzo Ball. But no, okay. Monte Morris is probably the right answer. I'm willing to go with Monte Morris. Okay. Other guard. Okay. Other guard. Um, yeah, Grayson. Grayson, I guess Grayson, Grayson Allen's obviously default. there. Yeah, Grayson's there. Okay, and another guard or a wing. I, I guess I actually went three guards. Um, Josh Hart? Josh Hart. I guess. That's who I went uh, with. Hart is who, who popped to mind. Um. And then you have two forwards there. Who do I think your forwards are? Did you put in Giles or Tatum? I did put in Giles, not Tatum. But like Giles you, I'm fine with. Um, like you could really easily, as you pointed out, go Allen at so. the two, Tatum at the three, and Giles at the four. You absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, all three won't, but you could easily do that. Right. Okay. Okay. So uh, I, Brooks. I went Giles at the four, and then I went with a big. Who's my big? Oh, you nice. went with a true big. You well, go Caleb? Because I actually think Swanigan is going to have a really fantastic sophomore year, but I wouldn't go Swanigan first. I, I, I went with a 4-5. I think anybody that's a 4-5 qualifies for that last spot. Um, did you go? Well, this is difficult. I mean, it's not you Swanigan. Did, you go, did you go Hayes? It's not Hayes. It could he's, be. He's not like he's not really a 4-5, four, five, four, so I'm five. trying to think what 4-5 four, five is there. You went Amita Brimer, you son of a bitch, didn't you? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, like Am- I like Amita Brimer more than most people like Amita Brimer, but no, I did not mention him. Um, who would uh, be – this is fun because the listeners are probably trying to guess too. Who would be that 4-5 yeah. – who would it be? Yo, uh, did not. No, I mean, he's – he, I've got him on a list. I've got a list of other guys to consider. I've got him. I've got Swanigan on the others list. I've got Ivan Rab on the other list. Um, you did not go Thomas. Rab, Rab might be the right answer, by the way. Thomas Bryant is the correct answer. Yeah, Rab is, is it definitely really? the answer. I don't Bryant, love that one. But... I like Tom. Why do you not like Thomas Bryant? Not for preseason. I think he's an All American. I think he's like a third team All American. I'd just take Rab over. You'd take Rab over Bryant. I would. I don't totally. I like. But, I, I, I mean, it's. A uh, I don't know. If I... Yeah, no, I know. I. I don't think I would. I mean, you could. Yeah, here's, here's, I think that here's some other guys well. who I got listed as like options for preseason All-American teams. Jason Tatum, Malik Monk, Bam Adebayo, Josh Jackson. Oh, we, we screwed this up real bad. Yeah, Josh Jackson should be there. You you, you got where do you put he Josh could, Jackson? Yeah, he's he's there. De'Aaron Fox is there. The point guard position in general, you can't go wrong. We're going to have too many. It's uh, we'll, we'll literally probably have about 25 to 30 names under consideration for the three All-American teams, yeah, which yeah. is a great problem to have because last year, remember heading into last year, we were kind of struggling. Um, yeah, that, I, I would have put Josh Jackson over Harry Giles, by the way, because we just don't know how Giles is going to recover from the injury I mean, and if yes, he's going to be there hit. like an alien. You're not worried about the one-and-done players don't flourish at Kansas argument? I, I think that Josh Jackson, like 
uh, Andrew Wiggins before him is a big go. enough freak that he'll figure it out. Uh, that makes sense. Uh, Blew it. I've got on the list of possibilities. That's a good one. Worthy of inclusion. Uh, yes. Dylan Brooks, Alonzo Trier. Yes. James Blackman. Yes. Yeah, I think Blackman will actually – actually, so I think Blackman, who just died to come back, Troy Williams is gone, Blackman comes back for Indiana. I think that's a pretty big decision. I think Blackman will wind up averaging 17, 18 a game next year. I think he'll have right. a huge yeah. year. Um, so it, by nature of that, I think he'll – I would hesitate to put him first or second team, but I wouldn't be surprised if Indiana has a really strong year and he is clearly the stud um, if he winds up as an All-American right. in some regard. I think that's um, great. Uh, that... Caleb Swanigan um... – Guy uh, that you might not have that probably should be there, Mo Watson from Creighton. Yeah, I do have him here, Mo Watson. He's stud. I've got uh, Alec Peters if he goes back to school. Yeah, Alec Somewhere. Peters is the is the. No, uh, he is going back to school. CD. We just don't know where he's going. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the other thing. Since we're just kind of hitting on every gun, guy that came back, Peters is actually the guy coming back who could wind up having almost as much impact as anyone because he can basically any school that has the spot, he can go anywhere and play. He's yeah. he's. He's, he's awesome. Like he, he's grad transfer one year left in college. Will he go to Vandy and follow Bryce Drew is the question. Um, don't know, but it, that's, that's to me, the storyline to watch in the next few weeks is where he ends up going because he could be the difference with a school, even getting ranked or getting to the tournament. So he would be a guy we should absolutely consider. No, he's a uh, three guys that okay, I have on my list two transfers uh, that you might have overlooked. I don't know. You're pretty smart about this stuff though. Uh, Austin Nichols at Virginia, yeah, I think is going to be a monster. And then Nigel Williams Gossick and Zaga was yeah. first team All Pac-12. Uh, his sophomore year before leaving Washington, going to Gonzaga, I think he's going to have a monster year. Uh, and then the last guy would be OG Ananobi from yep. Indiana. I think that he's just a breakout, like you know, waiting to happen. Uh, I would, I don't know that I would have him over Bryant on a list like this, but it would be really close for me. Right, um, Dieter Glossen. You, do you have Hayes? You have Hayes, right, GP? I do have Hayes. Dieter Glossen's yeah. going to average twenty and ten. The Probably team, the team might not be good enough, but he's going to average. Right. He's going to put up monster yeah. numbers. So um, it's just interesting. As I started going through it, I was like, there aren't a lot of obvious. Like Grayson Allen is an obvious answer, and outside of that, like you can really start. Like you can you can do a bunch of reasonable co- uh, combinations. It's not mm-hmm. it's not no brainer at this spot, no brainer at that spot. So it'll be a. An I'm inst- looking ho- real quick here. I'm gonna see what we had. I just because we've mentioned all these names. I'm checking our preseason just real quick here. So this was last year, all mm-hmm. right. This was our preseason team. We had Dunn, who uh, we had Buddy, we had Simmons, we had Wilcher, who was our preseason player of the year. Actually, it was your guys' player of the year, and we had Scal. That was the first team. Oh God. Sorry. Second team, although I let the record show, and we weren't, I wasn't necessarily right about this, but uh, Sam and I did fight back on you on Scal. I wanted Jamal Murray first team, and he was ultimately not a first team worthy guy, but obviously was better. He was on our second team. Trimble was second team, so what's interesting was Trimble was a second team All American last year. We would probably be warranted in not even having him that high, and yet he's coming back, which speaks to the talent coming in and kind of the down here he, he had. Kind of what happened to Marcus Page. Yes, absolutely. It's exactly what happened, Paige. Uh, Brogdon, Nyang, and Hayes were our second team. Nyang, we got. Brogdon, we were actually too low on. He was a first-team All-American. And Hayes wasn't quite that good. Our third team was Van Vliet, Paige, Denzel, who we were too low on, Perry Ellis, and Jakob Pertl, who we were too low on as well. But overall, I think we did okay. But I remember we definitely labored 
through a lot of that, just kind of just settling on 15 guys. It seemed like slim pickings. It'll be the opposite this upcoming. Yeah, season. I was going to say that. Like, this seems like last year we had a, had trouble filling it out. This year, it's a deep year in talent in college basketball. Like, there are a lot of guys out there that could have really, really big years. And I think that that's going to kind of – I've been harping on the fact that the 2017 draft is much better than the 2016 draft. And everyone's like, how can you tell? How can you tell? This is kind of how we can tell, you know, like to start, at least we're struggling to coming up to come up with, you know, 15 guys. We're narrowing a list of 15 guys as opposed to looking for guys to include into an All-American list. Once you start to go through it, it gets really difficult really quickly on who to include and who not to. No, it's going to be. GP, can I throw? Yeah, go ahead. Can I throw one more thing at you real quick? I just wanted to hit on this because we've talked about how a lot of programs benefited uh, to me, only one program – I know other programs lost guys and, like, Texas fell out, and that, that hurts losing Isaiah Taylor. But to me, the only school – and I could be wrong if you guys know another one, but the, the only clear-cut one that was really damaged this year by this rule USC. was – Yes, USC, yep. because we – the two players they lost were so – I mean, listen, Jacobs we thought might go, um, and then uh, Yovanovic, gone. So they go from, like – we had him as like high as 13 or 14 at one point. Now we don't even have him ranked. So it's tough for Andy Enfield who had some pieces and they could still, you know, pull it together and be a tournament type team, but they lost two critical pieces. And so they're the one school I think that was most hurt by the developments of the past six weeks is all. No question. Uh, uh, Jeff Eisenberg uh, pointed out, you know, cause he lives out there that, um, you know, uh, shout me, out to Jeff. Yeah, and shout, shout out and, shout, and shout out to Devin Downey again, just to get it get it in one Ego. more time. Um, that it, this is sort of a, a a thing, like at USC and even at UCLA, like uh, because the agents are all out there, um, it, it becomes very diff- difficult to keep your borderline guys in school. And uh, whether that was th- that that actually applies here, I I don't know, but um, it it makes sense. Like the one school that lost two guys who. Is it reasonable to say neither will get drafted, Sam? Um, yeah, I'm a little bit higher on Julian Jacobs than I think a lot of guys are. Right. Uh, he's really ridiculously athletic and can pass, but probably not going to get drafted. Right. And then Jovanovic, I think, is a, a Europe guy all the way. I mean, he was his dad was a pro over there 15 years. Uh, he was he came up in Partizan, which is a Serbian powers uh, youth group. So uh, it's yeah, I think he's a Europe guy so, all the way. He'll make a lot of money overseas. Right. So just so, look at, yeah, just, so, so just look at the way, so just look at the Pac-12. Oregon gets back Dylan Brooks, Tyler Dorsey. USC loses two starters. Probably of those four guys, let's say they, they would have all gone undrafted. I don't know if they would have, but they were none of them were going in the first round. Uh, Dana Altman gets his two borderline pros back. Andy Enfield loses his two borderline pros. That's the difference between being a top 15 team that wins a Pac-12 title and, and being unranked and finishing, like, good luck trying to finish in the, in the top four. Like, it re- I've yeah. written about this and talked about it uh, forever. Like these like sometimes there are no brainer. Like you're, you're losing Ben Simmons no matter what. Everybody understands it. And then you're keeping like most of your guys no matter what. Everybody understands it. It's the ones that could reasonably go either way that really shape, um, often shape, shape college basketball and by extension shape actual coaching careers. Like uh, here's two great examples uh, from last year. Buddy Hill could have reasonably gone either way. Could have entered the draft and maybe been a second round pick. Could have come back to Oklahoma. He comes back to Oklahoma. Lon Kruger goes to another Final Four. Buddy Hill's the National Player of the Year. Denzel Valentine could have reasonably entered the draft, but he might have been a second-round pick. Decided to come back to school. Michigan State 
get to lose to Middle Tennessee. Doesn't matter how the story ends. It's just the point is he, he made that team a, a national championship contender uh, simply because Tom Izzo benefited from an on the fence decision. And now, um, uh, well, you, you know who the number one guy is there this year who's going to benefit from that, right? It, it's your guy, Brad Brunell, down at Clemson, because he gets back sure. to Ron Blossom game, sure. who we absolutely need to have on one of our three All American teams. I mean, he's uh, returning all ACC talent that averaged like 19 and 7 last year. Right. Um, I mean, he's a stud and he's decided to return to Clemson and Clemson now, instead of it being a situation where Brad Brunell is fighting for his job, uh, he's now expected to make the NCAA tournament and yeah, he's still fighting for his job, but it's a good kind of fight for your job. Whenever you actually have the expectation to make the NCAA tournament, it puts you in a much better position to keep it. And then the way college basketball works, uh, you go to the, you can go from the quote hot seat to making the NCAA tournament, at which point you get a contract extension. It could like. Uh, Blossom Games' decision, this is not hyperbole. It's just crazy how this works. Blossom Games could have gone either way decision, might end up making Brad Brunel five, an extra $5 million. College athletics, gotta love it slash maybe not. <laughs> All right, let's get out of here. Remember, you're going to sc- subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. You can do that at iTunes quickest way to get your hands on the latest episode so you take care of that and we will talk to you again real soon bye bye